The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail. It is Thursday night and a rare second episode of the week for us. Uh, you know when that's going on, there must be big things happening. Trav, how are you? Doing well, Tino. How are you, my man? I'm uh, I'm doing well also. We are joined by Mark Podolsky, sports editor of the News Herald. Podo, we just had you on a few weeks ago. This is uh, even rarer territory for us, having somebody on again so quickly. But uh, as I said, big things happening. You are in Boston this weekend and you're in Boston right now, correct? For uh, getting yeah. ready for the uh, big UFC heavyweight championship fight on uh, Saturday night. Yes, I am, and I gotta, uh, I gotta give full disclosure. I'm, I'm, I'm flying solo, so to speak. I uh, arrived at the media day at, at Fenway Park, which was a real treat, even though <laughs> the field was completely uprooted and it was, it just, it didn't look very uh, appealing to the eye, but. Man, it was just—it was just really cool to be in that stadium. So I was looking at as I entered, I looked at the media list, and uh, lo and behold, the News Herald—the News Herald is the only Northeast Ohio media at, at the UFC event to see Stipe Miocic potentially, <laughs> potentially make UFC history, and we can get more into that as we go on to, in the show. All right. Well, go go ahead. What what is the what are the stakes here? What, what what's the history that's on the line? Well, the UFC has been in existence for 25 years, and you know, a lot, a lot of great heavyweights. You know, Randy Couture, you know, um, Brock Lesnar, who some say is a great or is not a great heavyweight, depending on how they feel about performance-enhancing drugs. Or then there's you know, uh, Cain Velasquez. The list goes on and on. So this league has been in existence for 25 years. No UFC heavyweight has defended the belt more than two times. So you think about that. You know, when you think about the history of boxing, when you see the Mike Tysons of the world and the Larry Holmes and the Muhammad Ali's and Evander Holyfields and Mike Tyson, all these guys, you know, to, to, to see a heavyweight in, in UFC, and, and, you know, UFC is much different than boxing, but I think when you get to the heavyweight division, it becomes a little more similar to boxing than maybe in any other division in UFC because these guys, you know, they're laying the hammer to each other. They're not messing around. They're going for, you know, one, one shot and they want to take you out. And, you know, if you've ever watched a heavyweight bout, you know, it's rare to see these fights go past two, you know, two or three rounds. And if you're getting into a main event, heavyweight bout five rounds of five minute periods, that's, that's tough when you see these guys getting into that third, fourth, even at fifth round, but yet no one has been able to hold on to this belt, which, you know, and I've asked Stipe since he's been champ, you know, why hasn't anybody, I love this quote. He goes, why I asked him like on numerous occasions, why hasn't anybody been able to hold on to this belt more than two times? And he's like, well, it hasn't been me. That's why. So he, he I, love that answer. I know. So he's determined to make it, you know, a three peat, you know, the trifecta and, you know, that would put him in a class by himself, and that would definitely inst- instantly put him in the discussion of the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. So the stakes are really high, but this guy, he's fighting Francis Ngannou. He's got a lot of buzz surrounding him. 
He's got he's a heavy hitter. He's a he's got a really interesting backstory, and there's a lot of buzz around him. And it, and if you don't follow UFC, you know the heavyweight champion Stipe has won four straight heavyweight bouts with all first round knockouts. Yet he's the underdog in in this fight, according to Las Vegas odds makers. Which makes it a really intriguing fight when you when you think about it in that respect, considering what he can accomplish. So you know the, the storylines, <coughs> excuse me, are are really intriguing going into this fight. Which I gotta say, you know they, they use that term super fight. I think this is the closest thing that you've got to super fight in a long, long time in the heavyweight division in UFC. I mean, it's no Rocky Palpoa, Apollo Creed, oh. but it'll, it'll still be pretty decent. I'm <laughs> Don't, now you're really going to get my juices flowing and start bringing that stuff up. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so t- tell me about this Angadu guy. You, you said he's got a lot of buzz, and he's actually favored despite Stipe's track record. What? Uh, w- why is this guy uh, getting everybody hyped up, and what's, uh, what's causing all this? Well, he's got it. A really cool backstory. He's he's 31 years old. He was born into poverty. He grew up in Cameroon. He moved to France when I think he was a teenager. He was a, a fan. He was a fan of Mike Tyson. He moved to France to become a boxer, and you know it kind of coincided with kind of the you know I don't want to say the heavyweight division in boxing is dissolved, but it nearly isn't nearly what it was when. You know, all three of us were growing up watching, you know, like I said before, Mike Tyson, Vander Holyfield, those guys, Riddick Bowe, um, Lennox Lewis, those guys. So I think it just kind of, he just kind of morphed himself into becoming an MMA fighter. So he's only been in the UFC for three years, and he's only fought six times in the UFC. And Stipe, on the other hand, has been in, in the UFC since 2011, and he's really paid his dues. And I'm not saying Ngano hasn't paid his dues, but... So he gets a, uh, a heavyweight bout against Alistair Overeem. And if anybody went to see Stipe fight last September, um, actually two Septembers ago at the Q, his first title defense, he defeated Alistair Overeem in the first round with a knockout. Well, this guy, Nganu, uh, fought, and this makes this you know the, the the stories of this leading up to this bout even more intriguing. He fought last month in Ghana, which really is almost unheard of that a, a UFC guy can turn around and fight in December and then fight in January. But what happened in that fight is that basically it was one punch, this left uppercut. He just flattened out. In the first round, he just flattened over him and was out cold. He was unconscious. People were like pretty concerned, what, you know, if there was something seriously wrong with him. He turned out to be okay, but then he went on Twitter, I think the next morning, and he called it the, the uppercut from hell, quote, <laughs> on Twitter. And it just caused this crazy buzz. I mean, if you go on Google or uh, YouTube, you may be able to find the knockout. It's just vicious it's very it's just vicious and uh so it's generated all this buzz and you know when he only fought for about a minute you know so you know dana white the ufc president he pushed for this guy to you know hey let's do this quick turnaround so it's only been i think it's about 48 to 49 days since he last fought and he's going to fight again so 
you, you wonder how that's going to affect Nganu because, you know, you go through a big training camp and, you, you know, the way these guys train for these bouts, especially when you're heavyweight, you, you know, you're pushing yourself to the limit. And, you know, you got to, I, I think, in my opinion, you got to take some sort of break. I mean, I don't know how you can go straight through it again, but I was on a teleconference last week and I asked him and he says, yeah, I don't take any breaks. So I've, I'm just kind of maintaining, you know, so we'll see, you know, and God who's never gone more than two rounds in a, in a bout and Stipe fought a real famous bout against junior Dos Santos, which was uh, the first time he, they fought twice. This is the first time he fought back in 2014. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to see a bloody, tough, grinded out heavyweight bout, go watch highlights of that fight. That went five rounds. It was a main event, what, 25 minutes. And I think I think Stipe said it's basically hell when you got to go through something like that, a five-round fight for heavyweights. It's a lot different when you get these lightweights going five rounds. When you get a heavyweight going 25 minutes, five-minute you know, five rounds, he says, you know, until you go through that, it's, it's pretty difficult to ex- explain or, or feel or, or kind of simulate what that experience is like. So, um, but again, with Nagano, he, this guy, this guy's fascinating. He's very confident. He's he called Stipe the after he beat Overeem, he 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 said uh, Stipe is the interim champion, and he thanked him for holding the belt until he got the you know he until he won it. So, you know, he's trash talking. Stipe doesn't like to trash talk. So, uh, but this guy is really interesting, and I'm really excited to see what happens on Saturday night. All right. So, assuming everybody listening to this is, you know, Northeast Ohio guys pulling for Stipe, what do you need? What do you think he needs to do to win? Because it sounds like most of the experts are picking against him. Um, what do you think is his recipe to winning? You know, I'm not privy to their game plan, but just from studying his style and what Nganu I think is going to try to do, I wonder if if Nganu is buying into the hype that's surrounding him because people just fell in love with that punch, that flattened overing. And you wonder if he's going to, like I said, try to go out there and, and kind of wow the fans again and try to take out Stipe early. So I'm wondering, or I'm thinking that if I was Stipe's coaches, I would say, don't take any chances. If there's an opening, take it. But, you know, kind of try to weather the storm, you know, stay at bay, you know, don't leave yourself open to anything. And I think it's not the worst thing in the world if this thing goes for Stipe, at least, if you can get this guy into the second, late second. And I definitely think if you get this guy into the third or fourth round, huge advantage in Stipe's case, because this guy is, he's well conditioned. They push this guy to the limit. I don't know if you guys remember two summers ago. That's brutal summer we had. I mean, it was a brutal summer. But Stipe trains out in Valley View underneath the, you know, where the uh, AMC theaters are at over there by in Valley View. Well, just up the road is where he fights. It's called Strong Style. They were taking him outside to train during the summer. And uh, they were having him carry, uh, like, uh, bricks around and pushing him in the uh, like a wheelbarrow and it's just brutal like rocky four kind of stuff 
So the, the, they always, always try to get him in the top, you know, peak condition. Ric Flair, like like a sixty minute man, like Ric Flair, right, right, Tivo? <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, what I mean, so like they, you know, let's prepare him for the worst possible scenario. Now I don't know if Nagano is ready for that, so we'll see. You know, so I think I think the key is keep him at bay, don't take any chances, and it's not the worst thing in the world if you can get this guy into unfamiliar territory for him. What I'm talking, what I mean, I mean, what I mean, Nagano. All right, let's let's keep going behind the scenes here with Stepe because it's kind of interesting to me. You have pretty much been following his career and covering him now. I, I would say since real early on in his MMA career, right? Yeah, I mean, he started in 2011. I think we were there. We, we did a couple feature stories on him, and but then what? He really started to catch fire towards like. 2013 2014 and that's really when we kind of went all in following his career he had a real big win in chicago i think in 2013 and then like i said in that fight he when he fought junior dos santos now he he beat junior dos santos in the rematch when he was a champion last may in dallas but the last time he lost was against junior dos santos he it was that five round bout um and he lost a split decision and or I think it might have been a unanimous decision I can't remember but he did mention that this was even though he lost he thinks he might have won in one respect because it kind of turned his career around in terms of believing he was because Junior Dos Santos is a, is a former UFC heavyweight champion you know it just gave him that belief that he could hang with the best and you know beat the best so that you know that that really that win sort of you know that was a key into him, I think, becoming the champion. What's it been like just kind of getting in on the ground floor with a guy like that, a, a local kid? I mean, you know, it was kind of fun. I think it was either this week or last week you posted a picture of a box score or high school football stats. I mean, he was a place kicker for North High School back in the late 90s. I was typing his name into the weekly stats, and I don't know. I mean, no disrespect to – any of the kids uh, that are playing high school football now, but I can't picture any place kickers today uh, playing high school football, becoming a UFC heavyweight champion. I mean, you just never know how these things are going to go. And, and what's no. it been like seeing a local kid like that uh, become, uh, you know, the man that he is now? Well, it's, 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 it's really surreal when you think I, I got a story to tell you when Stipe was a sophomore in high school at East Lake North, I was covering the high school wrestling beat for the News Herald. I was just a lowly uh, prep writer. Um, no offense, Tino. We've all been there, right? Right. So I paid our dues. So, exactly. So this this is the late nineties. I think ninety eight or ninety nine, somewhere on there. And the, co- the the coach at East Lake North was Mike. Kok- this guy named Mike Kokitka. And I remember, you know, they had a really good team back then, and. He, you know, we're talking one day about his team, how everything's going. He goes, yeah, I got to tell you about this one sophomore I got. His, his name's Steve Myosik. Now, he was going by Steve back then, not Steve. And he goes, this guy, he's an animal. He's an animal. You got to see him when he wrestles. He's just an animal. And so I started watching him, and he was right. I mean, this kid just was an animal. Like, you got him on – you saw him on the wrestling mat, and you just saw – he saw amazing strength, 
with the amazing speed and quickness. And when you get those combinations together for a big guy, it's amazing to watch. So then he becomes a senior at Eastlake Norton. He uh, advances all the way to the Division One 215-pound state championship match. I think he lost a real tough bout, like four to three or something. It was a close bout. And, you know, he goes off to college. I think he wrestled at Cleveland State, and then he went down to Tennessee to play college baseball. He was a great baseball player, too. I mean, great football player, great running back. Great, must have been a great kicker. I, I mean, that's the first time I ever knew that he was actually a kicker for the uh, for the football team. But then, you know, kind of, you know, when these guys, you know, they graduate from college, you just kind of forget about them, you know. And then all of a sudden, UFC kind of picks up. And then I remember getting some calls or some emails from people like, hey, you got to watch out for this guy. He went to East Lake North. He, he's going to be, he's going to be a heck of a fighter. And then, you know, and, you know, that's kind of our forte, you know, you know, that Tom, you know, you, we like the high schools, but we also like the local angles of guys that grew up in Lake County or in the surrounding areas. And we just kind of jumped in on it and it's, it's been a fun ride. Absolutely been a fun ride. It's been like covering Rocky Balboa. It really has. It's been, it's been crazy. I'll be honest, I know very little about MMA. So listening to this, it's it's interesting that, like, I mean, obviously you've watched how he's developed and whatnot over his career. At what point do you think, like when you were watching him, that it, it kind of kicked in that he could be this guy who... Well, I, mean, I think... No, I don't I, know I, that he's a huge superstar, but he's not, I mean, he's a heavyweight champion, which still yeah. has some cachet to it, you know? No, he, no, he's not a huge superstar, and I think... It, there's a reason for that is that I think behind the scenes, I mean, no one's really told me this publicly, but I think people, you know, people have told me this kind of off the record and, you know, Hey, just, you know, kind of not, not, I don't even know how to say it. Like Stipe has gone out of his way to say, I'm not going to change who I am. And I think the reason why the Conor McGregor's of the world and there's this guy, Francis Ngannou and, and Ronda Rousey, when she was at her, peak you know they're, they're very loud they're very boisterous very cocky and that's just not who Stipe is you know and I think they wanted to try to market him as you know they wanted me I think they tried to work with him to try to promote him a little stronger and try to push him into being that kind of uh, star that kind of goes beyond just being the champion but can you can you sell pay-per-views can you be loud like Conor McGregor can you saying, you know, crazy things that gets the fan base all excited for, you know, legitimate reasons or not. And he's just saying, hey, look, this is who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm a firefighter. I love Cleveland. I'm not ever moving to Las Vegas like some guys do. And this is who I am. But but Travis, get, <clears throat> getting back to your, que- your question about did I ever sense, I think it goes back to when he was in high school. I mean, I really believe that when – when I saw this guy wrestle, he was just like a super freak. And I was, I was, I'm always amazed by like back when I was covering, you now the weight classes are different, but I always thought like the 215 pound weight class was, I think it's 220 now or 210, but back then it was 215. I always thought that you would get these guys at that weight class when, you know, the he- it's, it, it's in between the heavy and like that under, 200 pounds when you get those guys that show that speed and strength those are those those are the athletes that are amazing i'm like i'm convinced that like you see linebackers playing big 10 football if some of these guys were wrestlers 
you know, back in high school, just amazing. You would have seen amazing, amazing wrestlers. But you know, wrestling is a different kind of sport, man. You need to, you got to be a different kind of breed to want to do that sport. And it, when I watch this UFC stuff up close and Travis, I'm like you. When I first got into covering Stipe, I didn't knew nothing. I had to like give myself a crash course. I had to learn about this sport, and I'm still learning it. Because it's 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 not a it's a complicated sport. It's really they talk about the sweet science of boxing. There's a sweet science to this sport because you know you're 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 combining boxing and, and wrestling and this uh, jujitsu stuff with with these crazy moves and leg locks. It's it's really interesting and you know all the different kind of ways you can be great at this sport. And Stipe, he's definitely a different breed because that dude can, he loves, he can take a beating too, but he can dish it out as well. So I'm kind of rambling on here, but I guess what I'm saying is that I saw, I did see a lot of special things in him in high school, but you know, it's really hard to predict. Will this guy be a heavyweight champion of the world? But you know, this guy's got an inner drive and he wants to be great. There's no question about that. All right. So you mentioned kind of getting into covering the sport of, MMA and just being around UFC now a little bit when you're covering a, a pay-per-view like this and a big championship fight um, what what's that process look like so obviously you, you went into Fedway today where they had the media day and I, I'm assuming that the uh, actual fight night's going to be over at the Celtics arena uh, TD Garden right um, yeah just kind of what, what, what was the atmosphere like? What were you doing today at media day and what's your process going to look like on Saturday? Well, I can tell you exactly what my process is going to be like on Saturday. I'm going to get there and I'm going to fold my hands in the prayer position and say, please let this fight start before 1215. <laughs> because I'm telling you, these, these fights start at like 1230 and I'm going to say, please let this fight end before the first round. Because, you know, anybody's, Tom, you know what this is all about. Deadline pressure for your print editions of the of the News Herald or any kind of publication you work for. It's up against it. And, and these fights go on and on and on. They go longer and longer and longer. And I don't know if, if you're planning on watching this fight or buying the pay-per-view, this fight not might this fight might not, not even start till twelve thirty. But in terms of your question about, you know, how do you cover these events, it's it's a little different. It's Actually, it's a lot different than covering mainstream sports like pro football and even the college level. Um, definitely, these it's definitely a different breed of sports journalist. You know, these guys they don't work a lot with print, so these guys have come up through the ranks with only um, like the web. You know, these a lot of these what uh, MMA writers, UFC writers, are working for you know, dot coms, their websites. And um, they're just, you know, I, I think the rules are, are a lot different. Like an example is, like, Tom, you know this, you go to a press conference, you ask your question, the next guy in the scrum jumps right in. Well, these guys, they'll, they'll ask questions, they'll ask four or five questions in a row, and they're holding court for like 10 minutes. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. And so I've gotten... I've kind of had to get used to how they operate in the UFC. The UFC is kind of a wild, wild west. Not only 
when you watch the sport, but even the kind of behind the scenes, it's like, you know, Dana White runs the show. He is the show, but you know, everybody is just kind of, it's kind of a free for all and trying, trying to get a hold of these guys. Like Steve is a hard guy to get a hold of, you know, when you're a heavyweight champion of the world, it's, it's not easy. So I think, you know, when you kind of gain trust and, you know, I, like I said, I've known him since he was been in high school, but I really had not connected with him for probably, you know, from the time he was he left high school so, until he became a UFC guy. So that, that, that's like 12, 13 years. But Steve is a great guy. He's fun to be around with. He's 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 well liked by a lot of people. And uh, but in terms of like the logistics of of covering UFC, it's definitely different. There's no question about that. All right, we are going to be uh, stocking up on Red Bull on Saturday night, and we'll be <laughs> keeping our fingers crossed that uh, we get a good show on pay-per-view. Uh, I know Travis and I will both be at uh, the same place watching, and uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you that uh, you get something to write about and uh, you get plenty of time on deadline to do it. Uh, thanks for joining us on short notice today. This is uh, good stuff, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what you write this weekend. Uh, News-herald.com, and I assume you'll be tweeting uh, as well yeah. at uh, Mpoto. Yeah, if you want to follow me at Mpoto, I'll be doing tweets and uh, sending videos. And we got a photographer here with us as well, Tim Phyllis. He does a great job. Yeah, uh, he loves shooting the UFC, and uh, we'll we'll have we'll have it all covered at newsherald.com and morningjournal.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Poto. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Appreciate it. All right, our thanks again to Mark Podolsky for joining us. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing Stipe Miocic uh, defending the UFC heavyweight title this weekend. Saturday night pay-per-view should be good stuff. But, uh, Trav, coming up on Monday, uh, WWE got a big night of their own celebrating the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw. I know you've been to a bunch of WWE shows, or at least a, a handful anyway. Um, have you ever been to a Raw or just uh, pay-per-views? I have not been to a Raw. I've just been to a couple pay-per-views. Um, I've always, and from what I hear, the Raw after most pay-per-views is generally better than the pay-per-view itself. Oh, um, I know especially with uh, around... Yeah. Or WrestleMania, the, the night after WrestleMania has kind of taken on a, a life of its own and becoming a whole thing. But, uh, yeah, they, they tend to roll out some good stuff. And I'm sure with the way they've been hyping this thing up, it's uh, they'll probably be pulling out all the stops on Monday. But uh, I have been to a couple of Raws, probably uh, more than a few over the years. But um, I, uh, I, I had to share uh, a story from uh, probably my best memory or not my best but the the biggest memory i have of going to raw is the one i didn't actually get into so okay all right <laughs> all right but all right quick side sidetrack here so raw started in 93 it was preceded by uh, a show that ran in that time slot that started in the mid 80s that was called primetime wrestling and most people remember that one being hosted by Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Do you know who the original host of that show was? I do not. All right. I didn't think you would, but it was a guy who worked under the name of Jack Reynolds. That's interesting. Uh, 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 Uncle 
Uncle Rizzy's dad. That's exactly right. A Tony Rizzo's nice. dad. Uh, nice. Yeah, Who so. actually, if you if you listen, he will remind you repeatedly that his dad used to work for Vince. That's, That's correct. So yes, Uncle Riz's dad was uh, was the host of uh, the original host of Primetime Wrestling, but uh, that show went off the air in '93, and they they started Raw, and early on it was always at this uh, ballroom at the Manhattan Center in New York, which I don't think is too far away from MSG. Um, it was only, it only held like 600 people, and they're actually the show coming up on Monday. They're going to do part of Raw on Monday. Uh, from that venue again, so that's going to be kind of neat to see. But um, anyway, with with Raw back then, they started moving out into some other arenas, and they started getting bigger and bigger. And the show started picking up more steam. You know, they kind of moved into the whole Attitude Era, and uh, you know, the ratings picked up in the whole nine yards. Finally, March of '98, they were going to bring Monday Night Raw to Cleveland at the Gundarina, that's, you know, what the queue was back then uh, for the first time. And I used to watch wrestling all the time with my dad. This is my high school year. So I'm like a, right in the, the target age range for, you know, the people there uh, trying to draw in to watch this stuff. And I'm like telling my dad for weeks, yeah, we got to go check this out. We got to go down there. Yeah, yeah, all right, we'll get tickets. We'll get tickets. Finally, like two weeks before the show, we go to buy tickets, completely sold out. I'm like, son of a bitch, I can't believe it. So he's like, don't worry about it. And now keep in mind, this is back in the days when there was no StubHub, you know, flash seats wasn't a thing. Um, so, I mean, you, you had some brokers, but you kind of had to know people. And that was not, any, I had no clue where to go for ticket brokers. He's like, let's just go down there. Guarantee you there's going to be somebody outside the arena uh, trying to unload tickets. Fine, no problem. Sounds good. So that Monday rolls around. And I'm all excited. You know, they're hyping up Mike Tyson's going to be there. And this is when Mike Tyson is still red hot. And, you know, it's a few weeks before WrestleMania. So they're hyping the hell out of this show. It's going to be this real big deal. I'm all fired up all day at school. And I'm like, all right, yeah, we're, we're going down there. You know, get home, eat some dinner. And five minutes before we're getting ready to leave, my dad goes, well, if I'm taking you down there, I should probably ask your sister if she wants to go as well. But my sister could not give a shit about wrestling. Oh, jeez. So I'm like, why would you do He's like, well, I got to be fair. I'm not just leaving her out. You know, the, 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 I got to at least ask. Well, you know, it's the big thing happening in town. So she's like, yeah, I want to go. All right, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll take you down as well. So the three of us get in the car. We all go downtown and we go set up camp basically in the plaza between uh, the Jake and the Q or, or the Gund at that time. And, you know, we're asking around, all these people are filing in and, you know, they got that hour or so that they record the, the matches for the other shows um, before they actually go live on TV. So it's like 7.30, 7.45 and Raw doesn't go on until 9 and everybody's going in, nobody's selling, nobody's selling, nobody's selling. And I'm starting to get panicked. And finally a guy comes up and he's like, yeah, what do, what do you need? And my dad says, we need three. The guy goes, I've only got one extra ticket left over. I, I, I only got the one I'm trying to unload. And my dad's like, well, sorry, we, we can't do that. That guy goes in. Not a single other person anywhere outside the arena was selling tickets. So at about 8.15, we give up. We get back in the car and we drive home. And I end up watching the thing on television. And sure enough... All hell breaks loose on the show. Mike Tyson joins Degeneration X. The Undertaker comes back after he had been, you know, 
burned alive or something by Kane, and he announces he's going to fight Kane for the first time. Of course, they all ended up having like about 750 matches on pay per view, and you know the 15 years after that, but uh, the very first time they were going to fight, that was announced. And uh, I'm watching this just in disbelief in my room. I can't believe I'm missing this, and I'm just bitter as hell. So just absolute fury. Oh, I was, I was, I was livid. <laughs> and of course, my dad has to make mention of the fact that had my sister not gone down there and that guy still approached us with one ticket, he'd have bought me the ticket and sent me in and just gone and hang out, hung out at a bar around the corner or something and let me gone in and watched. So yeah, thanks, dad. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, of course, the, the, the following Saturday morning, we're watching one of those recap shows that's on while we're making breakfast and immediately the host jumps on screen. It was the biggest Monday night raw ever. And my dad could oh, just see me off. turning about seven <laughs> shades of red and he just starts bursting out laughing before I could even say a goddamn word. But uh, the good news is eventually I, I ended up getting to go to some other episodes of Raw. Um, I actually took my dad last year and uh, got to see uh, Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker, who is still around after all these years, and uh, Goldberg have a, a three-way stare down. That was uh, fun stuff. But uh, yeah, the, the 98, March of 98 and the height of the Attitude Era was the one that got away. Do you have like a... Uh... Do you have a personal favorite like segment? Not necessarily a match, because I mean I feel like everybody can cites basically the same matches all the time. Is there like obviously the Attitude Era era uh, late nineties early two thousands was I think entertainment wise as good as it ever got. Um, what what like what specifically? What's like the one part that stands out to you of like oh yeah that's what that era was all about. Um. There's Not a, necessarily that era. If there's a different one outside of that time. Oh yeah, I mean the the, uh, the one in that era that always just still makes me laugh when I see it on TV now is the one when Vince McMahon was laid up in the hospital and Stone Cold sneaks in and dressed up as a doctor and ends up beating the shit out of him and hitting him over the head with a bedpan. The bedpan was a classic <laughs> movie. You did not see it coming at the time. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, this is your life, Rock. Still kills me. Yeah, yeah. There was also around that time that was when uh, Mick Foley, Mankind won the uh, won the title for the first time. That was pretty wild. Um, that had to be the craziest crowd I think I've ever seen on a wrestling show. Uh, there was another one a few years after that where the show it it almost looked like the kind of thing that they would do off the air. Um, but they just kept the cameras rolling and, and, and kept TV on. And obviously it was scheduled for TV. I mean, this wasn't like going off script or anything, but just the way the, uh, the rock and stone cold started ad libbing, um, singing, uh, a duet with, uh, Kenny Rogers, the gambler, and then going into Jimmy Buffett, uh, Margaritaville, changing the lyrics to, uh, you know, kind of talk shit to each other that, um, that was a classic. Anything involved with those two guys was probably going to be pretty good. Uh, the Coors Light truck. Yes. Classic. Fantastic. Uh, there's so many like little, you look at it now and I'm not totally sure if I would get into it now. Like I did then. Cause it is, it's, I go back and watch it now and I watch and every occasion I'll get like nostalgic and I'll enjoy watching it just because I remember how much fun I had with it then. But it looks so ridiculous now. It's like, how did I ever really get into this? Yeah. You, you, you gotta get hooked at the right age. I'm, I'm with you. I think had I not been watching 
um, when I was younger growing up and had they not hit that boom period right at the perfect age to kind of hook me in uh, back in really in high school. Cause I mean, I watched it when I was super little. And then when I got to middle school, I drifted away for a few years and you know, I kind of ventured back into it when, when stone cold and DX and all those guys in the rock, uh, you know, started uh, getting, uh, getting real big. So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'd ever really be uh, hooked in now had I not already been, you know, drawn in years ago but uh now i think if you if you like the good old days this monday will probably be a fun one to watch because i'm sure they're uh they're, they're going to be dialing up the nostalgia to 11 it should be a lot of fun so all right well good yeah. stuff yeah looking forward to it sounds uh i'll be interested to see are you anticipating any uh any of the old guys coming back oh yeah they've already announced that a bunch of them are going to be on there um oh. I'm I'm actually kind of curious to see what they do. They're bringing back Brother Love. No kidding. Yes. By the way, the okay. guy that that played Brother Love, Bruce Pritchard. A lot of people, if if you're into wrestling now, you you probably know this, but uh, Bruce Pritchard, uh, which I did not know at the time, was his main job was basically being Vince McMahon's right hand man behind the scenes. In, in writing and producing and a whole lot of other stuff. And the whole Brother Love character was just kind of a side gig for him. And he was with the company for like 22 years. And he hosts his own podcast now. It's called Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And it's phenomenal because it's just all three or four hour episodes telling stories from back in the day. Um, but yeah, he uh, he's kind of had this resurgence and popularity you know developing this cult hit podcast and uh yeah wwe reached out to him and he's going to be on there so i'm kind of curious to see what what they do with him because he did not leave on the best terms uh when when he finally parted ways so um yeah i i don't know uh good, good old brother love that that'll be fun but uh yeah i think like rick flair and stone cold and, and a bunch of the other usual suspects will be on there too it should be should be fun Sounds good, man. I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I I honestly I don't even know that I would have that I was paying too much attention. I probably if I was putting my money on it, probably would have even forgotten that it was happening on Monday. So I'm glad we did this. So I will personally remember to, to tune in. Well, there you go. That's why we do. So these we did. We do it for me. It's all for me, everyone. If you're listening, don't think it, that it's any other reason. <laughs> Got to look out for number one, right? That's right. That's right. Damn right. All right, I think that's probably a good place to close up shop. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, hey, listen, uh, those of you uh, checking us out for the first time, you like what you hear, go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can go hear the episode that we did earlier this week with our good friend uh, Nick Carabine talking some calves. And, uh, you know, you'll always uh, get all of our new episodes. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. And we are on Stitcher. Go like our Facebook page facebook.com slash the nail podcast i posted a story yesterday shared from uh, our good friends over at waiting for next year uh, looking at some potential trade targets for the Cavs. and uh, if you like waiting for next year we are on there as well so uh, be sure you're checking that out uh, been a uh, been a fun week trav and uh, gonna have a lot of good stuff to watch this weekend i'm looking forward to it so uh, thanks again to mark Podolsky for joining us and uh, for trev julia i am tom valentino it's for the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.